Hello, and welcome to the Victory Bank Business Series Podcast. This podcast will be a series of seminars recorded at the Victory Bank in Limerick, PA. The Business Series Podcast brings members of the community to learn and grow together, featuring topics to boost your personal and business performance. Our speakers are subject matter experts, bringing you knowledgeable advice in a clear, concise manner. The first part of this podcast will be the presentation from our guest speaker, then followed by a Q&A from our community audience. Thank you again for listening, and now on to our episode. All right. Thank you, Bill. And uh, thanks for having me here in this, in this awesome space. I, I love this conference room. So um, this is uh, Welcome to the Victory Bank's Business Series Seminars. And Bill, like I said, it asked me to do something on cybersecurity, which is this huge subject. Um, I guess I should introduce myself. My name is Robert Riddish. I have a firm called Countermeasure Security, and I specialize in individual cybersecurity. Um, but there's an intersection with what people do at home with what they do in business, and uh, it goes, uh, it's applicable in each uh, domain. So nothing that you do in your business or at home is, is isolated from cyber cr- criminals. They don't care where they get you. I usually do something that's uh, a list of preventative things that you can do, and I have some resources that I'm going to go over that are on the sheet here. But I thought for today it would be uh, more more interesting if I actually went a little bit and pulled the curtain back and we took a look at the dark web uh, to see what actually is out there. Who has been on the dark web here? All right, that's Austin. That's one. Who even knows what the dark web is? All right, so I live in Austin. <laughs> so I thought it's um, it's a good topic. It's uh, it's quite interesting to see uh, what's going on there and knowing what's out there and how stuff gets there and how it impacts your lives is really half the battle. You need to know what's what's happening. Like you need to know that you need to wash your hands in order to stay stave off diseases, and it's kind of the same thing. So if you know what diseases are out there, how they get onto your hands, it's the first thing that you should really be aware of. So. That's my subject, and I hope you'll love it. And if there's, uh, I actually, I'm gonna go on the dark web um, a little bit. I curated some sites that are not explicit, that won't shock anybody, but if anybody has any concerns, then uh, just speak up at that moment. All right, so we'll talk about the dark web. We'll talk about how information gets on the dark web, hacking, breaches, and exposures. We'll talk how cyber criminals use that information, and this is a, a, a very small sliver of how it's used because there's so many ways that criminals can use information. We'll talk about how you might be part of the problem, and more importantly, how you can become the solution. And that is really the crux of my business, how people can become cyber safe and reduce their cyber risk and become resilient. And then last but not least, I'll have some resources that I may be needing to skim over depending on how our time is. So I set this up for 45 minutes, then I cut it down to about 30, but I'm still at about 35 <coughs> minutes. So we'll see. All right, this is a common depiction of the internet, and it's usually shown as this iceberg to donate that, uh, or to show you that the internet that you know, the google.com, the yahoo.com, msn.com, what have you, is just the tip of this very large underbelly of sites and databases that are lurking below that. So um, 
the deep web is the next level. So you have the internet, which is something you find in Google, and then there's the deep web, which is actually something that sounds scary, but you and I probably have been on it this morning already. I know I have. And it's just anything that you need to log on first. So for example, your Victory Bank account is not something that's publicly searchable in Google. So I can't go and look at Bill's account, but I can get to the Victory Bank website, which is the top part of it. So then the deep web part starts where you log in. Same thing with uh, your Amazon order status or your email even, or anything else that is really, uh, where you have to go through some type of door to get to the content below it. So that's the deep web. It's really nothing scary. It's actually the, what makes the world go round. And then at the very bottom of it is something called the dark web. The dark web is actually a couple of different technologies that are all just called the, the summary term the dark web. But the one that we're going to look at is called the onion network. It's something developed by the US Navy and it was meant to allow for the secure and private exchange of information. So it's not necessarily a bad place. In fact, the US government still continues to fund this and uh, it's a, a vehicle for people, for example, in oppressed nations to um, find information or for whistleblowers to bring about information so, or for just to guarantee your total privacy. So it had good intention, but of course, the nature of the beast is that criminals can also use that same type of technology for their own nefarious purposes. So the dark web, is really just this part of the internet that's hidden. It's got all hidden websites and it needs special technology to get to. But it's not too special and not too complicated, so that's why we can still access it. Well, how do you get on the dark web? That's usually the first question. Like, how do I even get on it? So who in here has installed Google Chrome on their computer before? Perfect. So you already know how to get onto the dark web. It's similar to that if you know Firefox is yet another browser and the Tor browser is a modified version of Firefox. So you just go to torproject.org, you download the browser just like you would with a Chrome browser or a Firefox browser, and you start that up. And before you know it, you'll have this site coming up here, which is the uh, same thing as your normal browser window, but in fact, you're now on the Tor browser. <coughs> so what's different about that? Well, at this point, nothing except when you go and try to access, say, google.com, what will happen is you start here in Limerick and you'll go through many different layers, thus the name The Onion, and you'll end up perhaps in, well, in our case today, in the United Kingdom. I already preset this up for you guys. Uh, so that sometimes you end up in some crazy language that you don't really understand. But so Google's website will say, hey, I see that you're coming from Copenhagen, so I'll show you the Copenhagen, the, the Danish website for Google instead of the US website. That's how you know it works because you just got um, protected in your privacy by Google not knowing where you're coming from and vice versa. They don't know where you're coming from and you don't know where you're going. So <laughs> um, with that, I'm going to switch over to the Onion browser for a moment here and we are about to enter the dark web. Hey, Robert. Yes. Hi. I don't want to get off track, but I see that term DuckDuckGo there. Yes. And that's something somebody recommended. Is that a something we should be using, like to protect our privacy or something? Or? Uh, DuckDuckGo is a browser that is the default browser that's built into this um, Tor browser. So 
it's the default search engine. So you know how when you open up Chrome, Google is your default search engine. DuckDuckGo is a another search engine that is focused on privacy, and that's how they made their way into the Tor browser. And so if you don't change that, that's the first thing that you'll see. But you can change the default search engine just like you can in any other browser. DuckDuckGo is actually a local company right here out of Pennsylvania. So uh, they are, um, I, I, I use them myself. They are a good way to browse privately and search privately. So if you are looking for, um, for something that you don't want the ads to follow. If you're looking for a lawnmower on Google, and the next time you open up Google, you get lawnmower ads all over the place because you search for lawnmowers once. If you don't want that, you can use DuckDuckGo, which doesn't uh, have those cookies collected on, on your search. Okay. And to that very point, when you get onto the Onion Network, in this case, like I said, we ended up in the United Kingdom. So right now, we're going from here to my phone to the Onion Network to some place in the UK to then to go to Google. So I am currently browsing over the Onion network, but I'm browsing the normal internet, the .com internet. So why is this useful? Well, if you have, for example, a very highly private issue that you want to research, you could use DuckDuckGo, but if you wanted to step it up one more level, you could use, for example, the Onion browser. If you had a loved one who's battling with opioid addiction and you wanted to do secret or private research rather on that and don't want that to be in the cookies of your browser and following you around and be retractable by others, you can use the Onion browser for those things. So it's a good thing. It has its purpose. Um, this is again just another .org website in this case, so it's not a, uh, a dark web website. Dark web websites look like this. They look like .onion and they look like gibberish .onion. So, Many places like the New York Times have a dark web website for their authors in wherever they are in the world so to securely submit information. But their website looks similar. It looks like Jewish dark <coughs> onion. So this is because of the nature of the dark web. It cannot be indexed. It cannot be searched. So this hidden wiki here is one of those long lists of dark websites that you can then find. And they put this together by looking on the internet where then, for example, New York Times will say, oh, a dark website is this. You find that on the regular web, and then it gets ends up in these clever lists here. So this particular one is a very common one, very commonly used one. It's called the Hidden Wiki, and it has a long list of things, of things that are good, like whistleblower stuff, or just, um, are just of general use. And then, of course, you get down to the drugs, the erotica, and other things. So. This is your entryway into the dark web, and this is our level one. We haven't looked at anything yet except a list of things. I picked one that is um, a website that shows you the kind of things that go on over there that is uh, not going to make anybody cringe. So these guys here, um, this is a real dark website. You're looking at something that's currently happening right now. So you could go and use the site here. And these guys happen to be, I'm trying to scroll down to this picture, these guys steal uh, bills that are about to go to the shredder and they say they siphon them off and then you can buy them with Bitcoin and of course you're supposed to then make a profit in <coughs> paying a hundred dollars for a thousand dollars worth of bills in euros or dollars so this is the kind of thing that goes on in the dark web you're right now looking at uh, at a crime uh, that's happening and I should probably mention I'm a member of the Philadelphia area electronics crimes, crimes task force and you might be wondering why this is nothing that 
I'm gonna jump on and, and deal with right now, that's because this may not be even in the United States, in fact it's not, I just saw illicit, explicit language there. Um, it's something that is uh, possibly on some island in the Caribbean or some place where we don't know, really. That's the point of the dark web, is you just don't know where this is happening. And in fact, this is probably a scam and not a, a real thing. I'd be surprised if they actually send you the cash when you paid them. They'll probably just go into some larger scam. So that's level two. And most of the times, so though, this is a dedicated site to this particular enterprise. Um, oftentimes, this is the real thing on the dark web. These are marketplaces where people come and sell anything and that you can imagine. I'm not gonna go into any ideas here other than what we're seeing here, but it, it gets really dark and really, really ugly fast. This one doesn't have many ugly things. I already pre-checked it before we came. So you can buy probably stolen target gift cards here and make $3 on the dollar, right, for a $150 card for 49 and or iPhone Xs. This one I clicked on before. This is supposedly iPhones that were designed, destined for the Indian marketplace, and therefore they are that much cheaper than the United States marketplace, and with the Apple warranty and everything included. So, and other things, and of course, if you scroll down, it has to be always there are drugs for sale too. So that's uh, level three, that's where I'm gonna leave it, but you have just been on the dark web, people, and this is the kind of stuff that's out there. Um, one thing that I didn't want to go here because it's really difficult to go to these places without um, catching something bad on your computer, so that's why I have pictures of this, is where information from the likes of you and me are being sold. So going back to our presentation, this is the kind of information that's being sold. I mean, we already saw what, what drugs are being sold for and what um, other types of things are being sold there. This is a picture of uh, driver's licenses and social security cards and anything else that you can imagine. And then more importantly, not this one, but the next picture, if I left it in there. I did, all right, so this one here is a SunTrust account. And this guy, you know, is a scam because everybody on the dark web misspells receive and he actually spelled it right. So first it's a million dollars and then it becomes a $100,000 balance. But this guy will tell you, yes, you know, I can sell you this access for $572 and then it's up to you to actually make away with this money. But they'll get you right into this fresh hacked SunTrust, SunTrust bank account. I have a question real quick. Yes. Did you say that they misspell receive on purpose? Oh, this is just a joke, but oh, okay. I see it so often oh, okay. and it okay. riles me up because I'm just neurotic about spelling. Okay. So. <laughs> Okay, I understand. <clears throat> this should be nothing you write down. Receive or it's not a that was not a real thing. Like okay. if you see receive spelled right or not. No, sorry. <laughs> Good point though, thank you. So um, how does this information like the SunTrust account end up on the dark web? Well, there's many different ways, but I'm gonna go into the most common ones, hacking, breaching, and exposing of information. So looking at hacked, how do these hacks happen? Uh, they are a little bit technical and I'm not going to go into it too much but what's happening is that everything on the dark on the web and any device has to reveal its architecture so websites in particular have all this HTML code you've heard of HTML right so any website is fully visible to anybody sometimes there happens to be a problem in anything from your phone to your smart light bulb to of course 
websites and the things that make up websites like the database engines and so on. So these things are getting uh, tested and then there are problems found and then they are patched. So Microsoft on Tuesday sends out these patches for the operating system, same as Apple with the iPhone patches. But sometimes these things aren't patched or not patched fast enough and that's when it's called a zero day exploit. So when something hasn't been patched yet, it's called a zero day. Good and bad people like go and uh, try to say if you're an antivirus company, you try to mitigate that if you can. If you're a criminal, you try to capitalize on that. And more often so the criminals are looking for people who are just not patching their computers and devices fast enough to where they can take, care, take advantage of such a vulnerability. So these vulnerabilities are, as I said, um, lurking anywhere. So this is a well-known bank in the Philadelphia area that is uh, highly successful, and this is their logon. So this is the Victory Bank logon thing. Anybody can click in the web browser and inspect what the code of the website is. This is gibberish to even me. But if you are a, uh, somebody who knows this, you can see, okay, the login page here uses ASP.NET, right? So what's ASP.NET? I don't really know. I just know that it has to do something with the logon process. So if you Google ASP.NET form exploit, you'll find there's 567,000 ways to do that. So I'm saying that uh, it's possible to hack just about anything or there are vulnerabilities that exist for most of anything. So that's why banks such as Victory are very vigilant about patching stuff so you can't get in and there's other levels that you first have to breach but this is how breaches happen you know somebody doesn't patch there's an open vulnerability and there's people who are looking for these types of things to go and take advantage of them um, this happens to anybody from uh, you know there's breaches reported every day just about this one happens to be a website where I order stuff from and this type of thing that can happen is in this case Again, this is gibberish to you and me too, but criminals added these seven lines here. And what that did is it copied every credit card transaction from um, August 14th to September 18th over to the criminals. It looked kind of official with the newxstats.com website, but that was actually something that criminals came up with pretty cleverly. And again, they just inserted seven lines of code because the JavaScript for the website was not updated. And they blamed somebody else and so on and so forth. But that's how these vulnerabilities happen and get exploited. So all these breaches are happening because things have to be connected to the internet. For Amazon to be useful, there has to be a database behind it of all the um, things that you can buy and then there have to be accounts that are connected to that. So all these things are doors back to the, the public net. And these doors can be knocked on, they can be rattled and then can be tried to be pried open. And there are many tools that do that. One tool that I have on my computer, which at last check was still legal and free, uh, was called search diggity. I'm going to just skim over it, but these are types of tools where you just type in the website, the area you want to scan, the type of door you want to rattle on, and it'll come back with a long list. Or if that's not your thing, you can just say, okay, I want to look for TVs that are talking to the internet, and then it'll go into Samsung or whatever or other brand of TV that you're looking for, and you can try to, and you know, say there's a vulnerability for Samsung TVs that was announced this morning, so now I'm going to go and look for Samsung TVs that have that vulnerability that I, as the criminal, would like to exploit. So that's how these things are being found. Well, you're asking how often does this happen? These people are doing this around the clock. You're looking at a live stream of just one US-based firewall manufacturer who is always showing what kind of threats are being found and blocked. So this is only like a very tiny sliver of what's going on worldwide around the clock. But basically every second of every day, 
criminals are searching the net for these vulnerabilities, trying to, uh, to hack into things, trying to breach things. So now you're gonna get a sense for how these things happen and why there are so many breaches. This is one of my favorite sites for breaches. It's informationisbeautiful.net and they have an interactive graph. This is not the actual site, it's just a picture, but if you hover over one of those bubbles here, like the Yahoo bubble, I'm gonna pick the small one because I <coughs> did this, it'll tell you the information that was behind that particular hack. Um, I think, yeah, that's on my sheet here. So those are the breaches. I'll give you an idea if your information was out there in one of those many breaches. So another way that breaches happen, or rather another way that information ends up on the dark web is it just gets inadvertently exposed. Uh, that happens a lot too, where companies just uh, move things around, they switch to a new platform, and they forget to close a certain door. And just because of that, anybody can stumble on that and find this information. So it doesn't take a hacker to do it. Um, unfortunately, often the it's are just inadvertent um, exposures. So that's how information ends up there. But what do criminals do with it? That's really the important part. So of course, scams are the the most common way that this happens. And scams abound in everyday life. It's just where they happen to use some type of um, internet or connectivity or electronics is where we call it cyber fraud. Um, scams don't follow any rules. So what might start out as a, a particular type of scam in one way where they try to scam you into uh, perhaps you're, you're responding to a update on your computer that can veer into completely something different depending on the resources and how well the uh, the scammer can can move the scam along and to that point unfortunately scammers will not stop at anybody so you can be just a child like my child had been uh, the victim of uh, a cyber crime before my then nine-year-old or you can be uh, currently uh, battling a disease or you can be just your average Joe Fraudsters don't care. They'll just keep going. As soon as they have you locked in, they're gonna keep going after you. And they try to find the triggers that will do it for you. So if you're uh, on your social media showing that you're a rather lonely person, they might try a romance game on you. But if you're happily married like me, then they might go for a different avenue. They might use your respect for authority, perhaps, to say, we are the US government, this and that agency, and you, know, you owe us so and so much money. Um, to give you just one example, this is when you look up obituary on Wikipedia, as this what comes up. In an obituary, there's a lot of information to run a scam, so even something like that, a life stage event, could be a, uh, a reason for scammers to go after you. They'll say, Jane Smith uh, is surviving wife of uh, John Smith, who was a faithful letter carrier for the United States Postal Service, and he has two sons left behind. So now a scammer could call Jane, who is currently distraught, and say, I'm with the United Postal Service, so sorry for your loss. Your husband had a $50,000 life insurance policy, but he never uh, made you the beneficiary of it. We just need to uh, go over certain information. Then they rattle off the birth dates and uh, and uh, names of the family and her name even and then they say uh, so what we need to process is this piece of information from you we need your social security number and we need a hundred dollar um, processing fee so we need your bank information and Jane might go for it she's currently in a, in a bad spot so scammers can use any information any type of life change that uh, anything that they can do there's this guy right here called Steve Weissman and he has an updated version of this book 
but he does something called scam of the day on his website and you can read all about uh, the different kinds of scams that are out there it's sometimes a, a little actually a little bit of a fun read to think of like this would actually work but unfortunately of course there are some people who are getting taken by those things the next way is uh, hijacking that's how criminals also make money by hijacking your devices they are um, taking advantage of loopholes on your computers that you don't even know of. So your computer uh, might be serving up illicit images without you knowing once they're on there. So it doesn't have to be money out of your pocket that you can see. It could be something that's hurting you in the back. Or it could be where there's something crazy where you can actually use a refrigerator to mine for Bitcoin. So your refrigerator might be secretly mining for Bitcoin for some criminal. Of course, everybody knows about skimming. Does anybody not know about skimming? All right, so skimming is this um, big plague right now. It's just getting worse and worse. And uh, unfortunately, I, I have this on here. The good news is that these guys actually got caught since I did my last presentation. They caught these three guys. They, these are the ones that were doing the um, Aldi over here and the Potsdam Home Depot skimmers. But um, it's still not getting any better. And you're, I used to have this segment here that showed you, okay, so the skimmer that's being uh, overlaid doesn't have the rest for the pen anymore. But they are getting so clever in the backlit display that you will not be able to say, okay, as a layman, this looks like it's a skimmer. I mean, if it's, if it's loose and rattling or something like that, you can tell, but it's getting so, so sophisticated now that uh, you really won't be able to tell. But Wava does actually daily checks, I think like three or four walkarounds every day, where they look for um, skimmer signals so, and, and for, for compromises on their pumps. So what do you do? Well, you can't do much against them, except I recommend just using one dedicated credit card, or the safest way, of course, is to pay in cash, unless you carry a huge water cash around, that's not advisable either. Uh, and the other best way to pay is to use Google or Samsung Pay. So, and if you have to use your card, don't make it a debit, make it a credit transaction so you don't reveal your PIN. So that's on skimming. I'm just gonna skim over skimming, but I did want to mention it because it's the number one crime in this area. Probably around 100 skimmers in the Philadelphia area we're estimating right now. Some guy from the Secret Service told me the other day. Another way, of course, is extortion. Everybody heard of ransomware. Ransomware is uh, where your computer's files are locked up, but extortion has now grown in all sorts of directions, and it's buoyed by the advent of cryptocurrency, where now somebody in Nigeria can actually receive the ransom that you're asking from this person here in the United States. It's now possible to make this a worldwide crime, and that's what it's become. Of course, people have heard about sextortion, if you haven't. It's basically where you get an email or a phone call even saying, we recorded everything on your webcam last night, and we know what you did. And some people may be feeling threatened by that and feel compelled to, to act on that accordingly. So extortion is another way. Robert? Yes, sir. Just real quick. So if we are extorted with that, how, what's the best way to react to that? All right, so... Is there a way to mitigate Bill got it? an email last night. No. I, no, no, no. I'm just saying this because I, I know of a business that that happened to, and she was banking with another financial institution, and she went to the bank and, and had to convert currency, and, like, she was following through with the whole thing, and I'm like, I'm not so sure that's the best avenue, but I didn't, I didn't know a way to advise her... <clears throat> any other any other way so how do you if you're confronted with that issue how do right. you work your way out of that so it depends on the case 
Uh, it always makes sense to involve the authorities. People don't think of that as the first idea, even though we would think of that with anything else in life, but it always makes sense to involve the authorities to begin with. And they already will have much better uh, knowledge and uh, a sense for what's, what's a, a bad scam or what, what's real. So you then still have the option, if you're talking about where files are encrypted, uh, to pay the ransom and get potentially get your files back and oftentimes if you don't have a backup that is the only way and if you need those files that's the the only possible way to get them back if you're just being extorted on on account of hey we ran your we controlled your webcam for three hours last night and we saw some things that you don't want us to show to the general public um, that is something that you should never really respond to and you should involve the authorities even if it was something that has been um, recorded. So you're saying... I mean, the, the authorities will, will tell you the best. They have specialists that can tell you that, depending on what it is. If it's uh, something, it's just actually best to ignore those things. So if you are getting scammed by somebody, the best thing to do is really to ignore it until it goes away because they have other things and they'll move on to. If you're not responding, they have 20 or 50 or however many other people that they're trying to con at the same time. So I'm guessing with a with a ransomware again, if like I was in a situation where I was physically witnessing her, she had no access to her computer at all. Like she had a business to run; it was a right. fast-moving business. So in that she had case, no access. So she she needed to react to it. So getting the authorities absolutely make that call. But is there somebody like? Do you call somebody like yourself? Is there somebody else that so can actually? Yeah. What you should have, if you didn't, it's a shame, but what you should have is uh, cyber liability insurance in the business context. So each business should have cyber liability insurance, and if you don't, there's the man to talk to right here, Austin. But um, the liability insurance piece will have actually an action plan that comes with it. So the insurance companies are anticipating this, and they are having resources uh, that they will be able to help you with right away. And it might be still buying out this ransom, but it might also involve other things that you hadn't thought of. So it's one of those situations where if you don't have that and if you don't have backups, then, then you're on your own and you would have to make your best call as to if it's worth the ransom versus running your business and how fast you can get back up and running. Because I, I could just imagine if you have a situation where you pay the ransom, but they don't give you, a quote, all of the files. Yes. Well, and you're going to wind up paying even yeah, more exactly for the next yeah. one, right? It happens half the time. Yeah. About a third of the time, they don't give you anything back. They just take your money. But on the other times, they not only give you back, they give you the code and help you decrypt it, but they also give you customer service. You literally can go and say, I had trouble with this one file. Can you help me out? They're trying to have continuity of their business. So some of them just take the money and there's nothing happening. Other ones are saying, we want to help you get decrypted. We may come back in six months or something again, but we're going to help you out now to perpetuate the business. The one thing you should know is that when they do leave the code in there, even though you've decrypted, they often have left code in there, and while they're encrypting you, not just because they come back, but they may be actually taking your data and exfiltrating your data and selling it while you're getting decrypted. So you're focused on the ransomware problem that you're locked up, but in reality, your data is being sold on, as Robert showed very well, the dark web. So that could happen. All those things are interchangeable depending on the situation. And when you say contact the authorities, is that because we've we've gotten scammed at home, not this right? Time, and we call our local township police department, like, okay, thank you. That's not who does it. No, but I mean, who do you call? I mean, so it's FBI handles that. 
So we should be calling the FBI? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I want to get into your show here, Robert. The FBI is overwhelmed with this. Anything below right now, the cutoff, they'll say it publicly. They say 50000 50, $100,000. You can't call them if they can't work on your, I'm sorry if you're lost, the $10,000 loss. Right. Right. They're, they're overwhelmed. They're handling things that are so, there's so much of this happening. It's like finding, it's like finding air outside, okay? It's that big. So the FBI is the one who handles it. Um, sometimes in other situations, Federal Trade Commission be involved, not on the criminal side, on, on regulatory issues. FBI handles it, but unless you have a bigger case, they'll just say, we're so sorry, and we, we, we hope you'll do well. Makes sense, yeah. yeah. All right, well, I'll just add to that real quick. At home, as an individual, there's uh, a public website from the um, FTC called identitytheft.gov, and that website will step you through each one of the things that you need to do, and it will give you, in the end, not your money, but they'll give you a letter to go to your credit card, to go to any other of the places where money has been uh, leaving, money has been um, taken from you, and you can then take this as a matter of public record to compel the organization on the other end to uh, reverse the transaction. Mm. So FTC uh, doesn't help you with the crime and, and getting your money back that way, and if it's not big enough, like Austin said, the, the authorities won't be able to do anything, but at least you'll be able to, to go through the process and, and at least um, go to those institutions yourself and walk, work through it. This is a, your case is a perfect example of why in your situation, this individual case, you'd want to talk to Robert and countermeasure security. You need somebody who understands the technology, the regulations, understands the process, and how do you get out of the, the quagmire you're in. So he actually has a unique business that a person who has this problem would contact him and Robert can bring a lot of expertise that the average person does not know how to get get that expertise. And number two, if they were, would they be getting it in time to solve their problem or could it take months or years? So that's why his business really is very valuable to the individual person who finds himself facing a cyber issue. Well, thank you for um, asking that question and um, the discussion here. Sometimes we are ourselves the problem, oftentimes we are, and it's tough to be cyber safe because it means up given means giving up some uh, conveniences for the most part uh, of course also managing hundreds of passwords is difficult to make them all uh, different passwords and make them safe so we're defeating the security that we actually are participating in um, there are many tools that can help with that that can help nudge your behavior and that can help just automate certain things and that's where I focus on um, other times you're just not aware, and ignorance is usually bliss, but I'm glad that you're all here today and you saw what's happening out there so that you know that uh, you have cyber risk factors. Just by being a member of society, you have an electronic medical record, you have a tax record, you probably have a credit card uh, that you use to pay for things, and even though you may never go onto the internet yourself, you still have cyber risk factors that are, and somebody might post an obituary where you're mentioned in or anything else for that matter. So you still have cyber risk factors that you just don't even control that are out there but that you should be aware of. And with just a little bit of prevention and anticipation, most of these things can be avoided to not be part of the, the general dragnet of the cyber criminals. Like they say, an ounce of prevention is worth pound of cure. Thank you. That's why you're here today. <laughs> Of course, I already mentioned life stages, so also positive things, like you're getting married, there are so many things that are happening, and it's very easy to get confused by somebody calling saying, you know, I'm um, representing your spouse, and uh, we are 
yeah, working through your marriage and uh, we need to have some more information in order for us to, to process the change. So any live event uh, is a good time for criminals and it's usually very public. Um, even a baby is a public live event anymore. So these are times when you are emotionally uh, bound up and when cyber criminals can strike. So those are the cybers that we all face regardless of whether you want them or not. Of course, my business is to be making you become, my tagline is make you become unexpected. So the criminal expects there are certain things that they can do and get away with. And that's true for 95% of people that they target. So if you're separating yourself from that herd by doing five different things, then right away you're, you're already getting out of that, that big dragnet. Um, your best defense is always common sense and you just do some things that are like financial hygiene, locking your credit or having a web filter to not get to the bad website in the first place or never taking that phone call, never getting that phone call from the scammer to begin with. So you get a, a call blocker, maybe for certain people that I go see, I, I put one on the landline. You know, there's people who are concerned about their parents and uh, their parents answering every call on the landline and trusting the landline. So I put spam call blockers on there that they makes perfect sense to people but they just hadn't thought of it and to anticipate ways that people might get scammed so if they have a certain um, interest or in a, in, a, in a certain situation you anticipate the scam and you obstruct it before it ever happens and of course it depends a little bit on the situation and I won't be able to get into any details of it but if you just think it through you'll come up with that common sense of many ideas to, to prevent it happening. Of course, you want to set up alerting and monitoring and identity theft protection is important, but you also want to do things that are manual. So I'm actually guilty of this one. I haven't checked my 401k in probably three, four months now, and I have no idea if somebody breached the account, changed the address, changed the email, took the money and or took a loan out and made off with it. So I actually, um, advocating something that I haven't done, but you need to keep your mind on your money, so to speak, right? And uh, how it's so simple, but if you don't check all the places that you have money, how do you know you lost something? I mean, we all check our checking and savings accounts, but we ordinarily don't check life insurance benefits or anything else like that. So you have to have it on some type of schedule when you do it. I, yes, sir. Just a quick question. Is there any identity theft protection that you recommend specifically? One's better than the other, um, feature-wise, cost-wise? So, no, because there's really only two companies that do this, the actual work, and everybody else just resells it. So LifeLock, which is one of the most uh, common ones that you know, uh, that probably everybody knows, uh, they don't do the work themselves. So they sell uh, all these protections, but the part where they monitor things goes to another company. So this, there's only two companies. So there's one guy that is uh, very, very knowledgeable and actually uh, somebody that I'm pretty close with. He's out of New Jersey and he has a company called Secure Cyber ID and I use him for, for that and his service. And he actually goes straight back to one of those companies that, that does the monitoring and that does the, uh, the actual work. So if you want to get close to the source, Secure Cyber ID, I think it's, yeah, it's, it's on here. It's the yellow one down here is one way that you, you can do that. But identity uh, protection companies, there are a dime a dozen, and you can probably use any one of them. 
there's one aspect of it, which is this dark web scan that they say they do. In order to scan the dark web, you have to do it manually like you just saw it. You can't just uh, go on it. And also, if you dig a little bit deeper, you have to be somebody known and trusted. So you have to develop your darknet personality to get into the seedier parts of the dark web. The criminals aren't just going to let you into their circle. So there are companies, one is called Kroll, K-R-O-L-L, that have uh, a whole army of uh, of upstanding citizens but they have these dark web personalities to go and and look for and of course the government does as well to go look for things and so if you're um, using an identity theft company that uh, goes back to coal like with the Marriott breach they were using coal for example they've given that away for free then you have a little bit of a leg up versus the ones that that just um, resell this and who knows who, what personalities and, and how they scan the dark web when they claim to so, so my question was leaning towards the personal side, but then what do businesses do? Because on the individual right. side, you prov you provide your social security number, right? And that's kind of the driver for the identity theft. What about businesses? So businesses are made up of individuals. So it's the same scenario in the sense that um, you would get some company like CyberScout is one that offers a an human resources add-on to um, offer identity theft protection to the employees of a business. So does that answer the question? I'm no, I think, I think so, yeah. yeah. No, okay. I think so, yeah. What about, uh, and I know you're not talking about it today, but I've heard pros and cons to identity theft insurance, like buying that. Some people say, oh, everybody should have that, and other people say it doesn't really cover <coughs> much. Why bother, I mean, is that? So all of, almost, I think everyone almost at this point uh, that's in the identity theft space offers, uh, typically it's the million dollar package. So. With uh, the entry level, you get maybe sometimes only 100,000, but you get identity theft um, protection. What they mean is when you are uh, in a situation that you are breached, they offer up to $100,000 worth of services for um, remediation lawyers and, and so on. So that's included, but it doesn't uh, include necessarily, um, first of all, somebody like me to come in and find out what what went wrong to begin with, how did you get breached to begin with, and let's fix that hole so it doesn't happen tomorrow again. So, and there's also usually, like with any other insurance policy, loopholes in there. So I recommend that you go back to your um, homeowner's policy because usually you can get some add-on to that. If you are a high net worth individual, which is a space I deal in, um, there are customized policies for just that type of purpose because um, if you are given money on your own volition, if you got tricked into giving money away on your own volition, uh, oftentimes that's not covered because you just gave money away and you were expecting actually a service for that money depending on what the situation was. So you would have to have a policy that covers those types of scenarios. There's, uh, of course, uh, in that space, there is a bunch of different ones. Chubb and Pure are the ones that I typically deal with, and I, uh, I have brochure from Pure if you're interested in that, that you could take home. But yes, it's important to have the insurance coverage, just like on the business side, to have it on your personal side. And then, of course, plan for the expected, which is that you will get breached. It's not a if, but a when. And if you don't uh, have a way to protect it, and you can't protect everything, then you should have some type of insurance in place to go to that point. This guy, Sonny Nutani, he's um, out of Philadelphia, a Secret Service agent. He coined this phrase, verify before you comply. I think that's that he coined it, he says he did. And uh, 
he don't you do you know if he did or didn't Austin? I don't know if he did or did okay so he claims so anyway what he means by that is that if you were just to listen to what's being told to you and in your head go over what is this is there urgency why is this happening to me then and you verify that you say you hang up the phone if it's a phone call or you step away and you ask somebody hey look at this email for me then most of 95 of these uh, and it's a number you of these scams would fail on the first try also most scammers are not great at what they're doing the fewest are truly cunning to where they're brilliant actors and they get you to believe what you say, what they're saying oftentimes you have that inner voice that doubt and if you're hearing that doubt you should listen to it and if you're still not sure ask somebody else and there was a study that i couldn't find anymore i read about it and i wanted to quote it but i only remember that it was people 45 to 75 are actually smarter at yes it's maybe the reverse of what some people might think so they are actually smarter at discovering these scams they're just have been around longer so they can tell good from bad easier than the younger people yeah but i'm, I'm also just thinking as you become a little bit older sometimes you lose some of your faculties and your your that's, thinking isn't as clear and that's why i had wanted to actually have the study to quote here but i i couldn't find it anymore but i did read that uh not too late, not too long ago you want to educate yourself so you're doing this right now which is great and you want to do something calling setting up rules or controls this is for your home or your office and i'll give you an example um, after this slide uh, of course you can't keep up with everything so substitute common sense where you don't uh, know for sure and like i said you want to separate yourself from the mainstream so all these scams are always made to be as broad as possible so the most people that they can possibly get with a scam this is how the scams designed so if you're able to make yourself different then you're already separating yourself from being part of that scam. This is a website called How Secures My Password, and you type a password in there, and it'll tell you, okay, it takes, in this case, nine hours to hack this password, and it's on the sheet. This website here says, okay, have my email address and password been found out and posted on the dark web already? So if you put in bvtl at victorybank.com, good news. You were sweating this, weren't you? Thank goodness. It hasn't been shown. <laughs> But there's also a password section up there, and you can type in a password that you're thinking about using. So if you're thinking about using Rumpelstiltskin as your password, you may want to check first to see if that's already on hacker lists. And in this case, oh no, it's been on hacker lists 28 times. So the rule or control for your business or home or family is maybe next time you need to make a password, first check A, if you've already been breached, B, if that password is on hacker lists, see how long it takes for that great password you just came up with to be hacked. If it only takes uh, 20 minutes for any computer to hack it, then you may want to pick a different password and then say, everybody who makes a password has to use a password generator is what I really would recommend, but at least check whether this password is good or go and check your password right now. There's some debate on whether it's wise to type passwords in a public website. It is, however, fully anonymized, so it's, it's up to you and I'm not going to get into that debate right now, but here's just one example of a control, as we call it in business or in our home, we just call it a rule of thumb to follow. And then of course you'll always have that guy, but uh, for the most part, you know, people will understand what it, what's going on. Password manager is the best way to get um, hold of your passwords and uh, get your arms around all the hundreds of passwords that we have and make them different. LastPass or OnePass, 
or my I lose personally use Dashlane. They're all great. It doesn't matter which one you use. Just start using one. It's really what I'm trying to bring home here. Um, I talked about secure cyber ID already in the context of uh, identity theft protection. But another thing, and this is the last thing I want to mention today, is that keyloggers have been around for over 20 years now. I remember dealing with a keylogger in 1998, so I know that's been now 20, no, 21 years. And they are still around, and it's still a way for uh, criminals to get your keystrokes and your passwords and logins and so on. And most anybody doesn't have an anti-keylogging program on their computer or on their phones. So while we are slowly moving to uh, biometric passwords and so on, it's still a very good idea to have one and these guys include that with their subscription. So, and they're actually one of the, num they're using one that um, is uh, from this research group in the US government. It's the best of the best. Anyway, this guy again out in Jersey, so I trust him. I use him myself. And then I'm not going to get into this, but people sometimes don't know how to do things like send secure emails or safely share information over the internet and they just send it in an email and there's some resources in the sheet here. So that brings me to the end. Thank you so much for coming out. I hope this was uh, informative, tantalizing. <laughs> uh, let's take a break here for just a moment. All right, does anybody have any questions for Robert at all? We went over quite a bit. What antivirus would you recommend? Um, so today it's WebRoots, tomorrow it's something different. It, um, is something that changes all the time. I personally use Norton right now, and it has a pretty big footprint. Uh, it, however, is also something that comes with this guy right here. Remember, I work in the individual space, so this is not a router for your business, but for your home, I use this guy, which gives me the ability to control um, my kits and the websites that they can go to. I get alerts if a computer tries to go to a bad website or if a device has joined my net my network. So the other day my kid got a new phone and I knew before I was told any other way that he got the new phone because I already saw it coming up on the network. I got the text message on my phone. This comes this is made by Norton and it comes with the Norton subscription. So that's why I am currently a Norton person. I never liked Norton but uh, it's one of the better ones right now. So Webwood is another one um, but there's really uh, a constant rotation of what's a good antivirus program. Okay. As long as we keep them updated too, right? As, like yeah, so there are, they, I am, at this point I'm just trying to think if there's one that's still not next generation, but I think every single one of them is next generation. Next generation antivirus is different from the old way where a virus was found, the virus is called badthings.exe and it would be put in this list. Your virus program would download the list and it now included that that name and so now it could protect against it. Uh, the new way, the next generation antivirus says, okay, let's look at behavior. If something happens, part A, something gets downloaded in a not normal folder, not the usual folder, and then it tries to do this next thing, and then it tries to change something, that's the behavior indicative of a virus, and we're gonna stop that. Not knowing what it really is, it might be something that you're actually trying to do that's normal, but it looks a lot like a virus, so we'll stop it on the behavior of that particular file or execution that's happening. So that's called next generation antivirus, they have coined it. And almost every antivirus program now operates that way. So it's no longer the old definitions, now it's the behavior-based stuff. And there's a whole um, 
of course now the internet gets leveraged so we are all these types of behaviors that are being found and when they confirm that they get added to this this big web of information so most antivirus companies pool into that and then they feed their own algorithms from that I've heard people say they're nervous about using these password manager programs because what if the password manager gets hacked right now they have all my passwords right is that like being overly paranoid or, <coughs> so that's a, a very common question no so the way that password managers work are that they have gibberish they have all your passwords but the passwords are in gibberish on their servers for anybody to get them or for you to get your password is you type in a master password on your computer and each time that you need a password this master password is the key to unlocking the encryption on the password so the password gibberish gets downloaded to your computer then your computer applies the key it makes a clear text it puts it into where it needs to put into on the American Express login page right then it forgets it so there is a point of vulnerability that exists the moment that the password is unlocked, but that same point of vulnerability would exist if you were to manually type it in. If there's a keylogger, then of course that would be worse when you type it in versus using it to fill in. So the filling in part is better. Now I use something called the Every Key. I can't wholeheartedly endorse it just yet because it still kind of uh, has its technical challenges, but I do um, use it myself. So. When I bring this to my computer, and if the computer is locked, oh, I don't have the, I have to have a little uh, USB dongle in there because my computer doesn't do this type of Bluetooth. It just, I don't have it on here, so I can't demonstrate. But you bring this to your phone, you bring this to your computer, this then will be the um, password manager and will unlock it for you. If you lose it, you can freeze it in an app on your phone. and. In fact, if it's far away from your computer or something like that, it will it'll not work. So this forces people, this is one of those behavioral nudging things I use. People who don't want to use password managers or type passwords, you don't have to anymore. We set this up for you and then you're just uh, putting this next to your computer and that will do the passwording for you. Now you're using a password manager without really realizing or knowing it. Is it a... Uh, a good thing it gets you to use a password manager so yes there's cybersecurity experts will argue the other way now you know I can still now steal this and try to hack it and this that, and the other thing but at least if it gets you to do from using your Excel spreadsheet to using a password manager then I'm all for it so Bob, Bob to where you're talking about the personal um, I'll give my personal on. endorsement for the one password password manager I, like Robert was saying, uh, Excel spreadsheets, I had like four pages of Excel spreadsheets that I was trying to manage my passwords with. And just between work and home, and I got the one password, and you can create different vaults with that. Uh, so I have a work vault, and I also have a main vault. And I think between both of them, I have about 315 logins. What? Mm-hmm. Wow. So and it manages it. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. It updates it. You can... You can do it on the desktop. It transfers over to mobile, vice versa. It's so it's so easy to use. A lot, some of them you can even integrate into a specific app or a website um, to automatically log in. I don't use that feature, but um, you can do that for ease of use too. If your company doesn't have a password management system, then you should pick one. It will be something like you just said with the vaults, where you can have people have it for their personal and for their company passwords and it's completely separate. So 
Uh, I'll give you an example. So the CEO and the controller uh, are both logging on to the um, payroll system once a month or something, or once every other week to make payroll. And when the accountant has to change the password, she or he has to let the CEO know and vice versa, right? And how do they do that? They write it on a sticky note, they maybe even send it an email or whichever way it transacts, it's probably not secure. In this case, if you were to use a password manager, you change it and it, it's in this vault that's the payroll vault. And so now when the CEO goes to log on, they just use their one pass and one pass will fill in the password and the CEO doesn't know what the password is. It doesn't matter that it got changed yesterday or an hour ago by the account and vice versa. It's in this common vault that they both have access to. In fact, the whole point of the password manager is that you don't know your passwords anymore. They are complex and you don't need to know them. It's really, the, I guess, the, the bigger point because they are just uh, means to an end to get you into where you need to go and it's secure. I wanted to say something else too, Bob. That's probably the most expensive app that I have on my phone and it was nine ninety nine. One so time or monthly? Like one time. One time. Totally worth it in my opinion. I tell as many people as I can about it. It's been fantastic. That sounds pretty good because last pass they charge you monthly. Yeah, and Dash Lane does yes, too. One time. Yeah. So yes, one one password is uh, actually the most economical and uh, most business minded. Well Dash Lane goes in that same direction. I got Dashlane because I got a, uh, a free trial for it with this thing called the YubiKey. So this is something that you can one-up your security game in your company. I don't know if you want to do this at home. This is from Google. It's called the Titan Key, but there are other things, uh, companies that do the same thing. This is called the YubiKey. So in order for you to get into my computer, if you now turned it on and wanted to log on, you couldn't until you plugged this thing in physically. So even if you knew the right password and you're now in Kazakhstan and you got a keylogger on my computer and you know the right password to get into my Google account, you can't because you still don't have this thing stuck in your computer. So this is a, a physical token that needs to be present for your access to be working. So this is part of a multi-factor authentication, multi-verification, multi-step verification process and you can up your security game. Google gave all of their employees this Titan key and they claim that in the year and a half that they've been using it, they had not a single person lose their or had their access compromised because, again, you need to have this physical token to do it. So there are many different ones out there. Google makes this one, makes it pretty simple, and it works, of course, with your Google um, accounts, uh, YouTube and uh, Gmail and so on. And this one is an independent one, the market leader called YubiKey, and they are uh, doing a similar thing. Again, there's no password stored on this. This is just another thing. It's like you have three locks on your door and you put the password in this one lock, the YubiKey is the second lock, and so on. That was all the goodies that I brought, I think. <laughs> so you're welcome to take a look at this too, I Does anybody have any other questions for Robert? I'm just sure we like. can probably keep him here all morning, right? <laughs> I deal mostly with individuals, so uh, not so much with companies, although I do consulting for executives who basically then are being dealt with as individuals again I do a little bit of security consulting for small and smallest businesses so if you like you can pick a business card I have a brochure for my for my home business and uh, I guess we'll wrap it up thank you Bill for having me thank you Appreciate Robert it. thank you for listening to the victory business series podcast we hope you enjoyed this episode if you would like to attend a future business series presentation 
please drop us a note at rsvp at victorybank.com. We will add you to our mailing list and notify you of upcoming seminars. If you would like to be considered to present at the Victory Bank Business Series, please email rsvp at victorybank.com. Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to be notified of new episodes. The Victory Bank. Fulfill your dreams. Member FDIC.